All right. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Jamie Keach from Resource Insider, and you're listening to the Resource Insider podcast, the quarantined edition, because we are all still locked at home. And fortunately, during this time, I've been able to track down some very, very successful, very, very um, intelligent leaders in the space. And we're getting really their overview of what's going on right now in the mining sector and the world in general and, and how they're managing the COVID crisis and the companies they're involved in. Uh, today, I'm very excited to bring you Paul Matizic for a conversation. And I've been looking to get Paul on here for months now, so I'm excited to finally have a chance to sit down and talk to him. He is quite newly the CEO and chairman of the Board of Directors for Gold X Mining. And we're going to get into that in some more detail. Uh, for those of you who don't know Paul, he has been in and around and a leader in the mining industry for decades now. He has sold at least five companies that I'm familiar with. I think it's reached at least $2 billion in shareholder value. Um, and he's done a lot of stuff. So we're going to talk to him about his plans for Goldex, his views on the industry, and a lot of other stuff. So Paul, thank you very much for coming in today and, and taking some time out of your day and your new job to, to chat with us. Oh, thanks, Jamie. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity. So can I ask you, uh, where have you holed up for uh, quarantine in the, uh, in the days of COVID-19? Well, I mean, right now in, uh, in sunny Whistler, uh, it's a resort town just uh, about 90 kilometers north of, of Vancouver, uh, nestled in the, with a great view of Whistler Mountain and um, uh, Black and the Wedge and uh, uh, the resort normally at this time would be just uh, full of people just after March break. And uh, the village is, uh, is boarded up. Uh, there's maybe, you know, 30 or 40 people walking the village. So it's quite astounding this. And the only things that are open are essential services, uh, pharmacies, uh, grocery stores, and of course, liquor stores. Uh, to, to quell this population here. So, no, it's quite unusual uh, for this time of year and quite yeah. an unusual event. Yeah, I actually spent about a week up there about 10 days ago and it was eerie walking around one of, you know, the most busy places in BC. Uh, you know, you can barely move at this time of year and to see it like that, you know, you just, it's just such a, such a visceral um example of the lack of industry going on right now and you know i don't i can't even imagine the hundreds of millions of dollars that the whistler village is losing at a time like this between the stores and the lift tickets and the restaurants and, and everything it's 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 hard to think of an example better than that that really shows what's the changes going on in the world yeah no it's it's uh, unprecedented times and you know it has a uh, severe impacts you know uh, uh, on the world on on the economy i mean uh we will get through this but uh i think you know this event uh you know it, it will change the social contract that uh, businesses have with the world and you know uh what can i say like when hugs be hugs and kisses become like uh threats to your life and when uh, acts of love are not visiting your family and friends and you know it's going to have profound impact and you know i could see how we're going to you know work in the future how we're going to deliver health in the future you know how we deliver education these will all be will be changed by this event 
You know, I, I talked to Rob McEwen kind of extensively about this, and I'd be really interested, given your uh, experience in the mining industry and so many different commodities and so many different parts of the world, what do you think the long-term impacts of this might be on the mining space? I mean, assuming in the short term, there are going to be some mine shutdowns or some mines put on care and maintenance for a, a short or medium-term period, but once things are going again, do you see uh, a big reshift of how we do things in this industry? Yeah, there there may be the uh, global for sure. Deglobalization, security of supply will be more most important to a lot of countries. Um, you know, there's going to be, for instance, if I just talk wholly on like on, on gold, with the amount of dollars that are being pumped, you know, by these infrastructure. Like I think, what the United States is going to put six trillion dollars mm-hmm. into the economy and. And, you know, that's going to cause you huge inflation. And with the lack of goods and services, that's going to cause a stagnation of all the economies that you just described and what's happening in Whistler. I mean, that's stagflation. And, and usually in those types of scenarios in the past, that's led to uh, more demand for hard assets like gold. And so you can, obviously there's going to be a, I th- most assuredly going to see a, an increase in gold prices, you know, I don't know how high it will go, but I think gold will go to $2,500 before it goes to $1,000. Um, and I think that, you know, the mining industry will, will may have to like develop even a stronger, you know, because we're all connected social contract um, with how it does its business. And I, and I think that uh, it, it won't be just anymore on providing maximum value to, um, to shareholders, but how it provides that value. And, you know, there'll be a lot more social values and how we protect and, and educate communities that any mines are, you know, are involved in. And I think there'll be a new different index on, on those types of activities by miners. So, you know, I think that, you know, when, when the world starts turning again, there'll be a huge demand for the base metals and, you know, we will we will go back to work, and there will be some mines that don't make it during this period. But I, I I do believe that the mining industry will probably be healthier as a result of this. So, are some of those things you just mentioned uh, are they what inspired you to to really step up and step into the CEO and chairman role of Goldex? And maybe you can give us a bit of a background of what brought you there and and why you're in this company. What now? Sure, I mean. Most of the, as you mentioned earlier, the the five uh, exits and sales of, of public companies, it's it's more looking at uh, the the dynamics of of the metal price of the commodity that I was looking at. Uh, um, it would be my the size of the asset and what I can do with it, the the optionality aspect, and the ability to put a team together to execute on a, on a, on a program. Uh, in this particular case, uh, for gold X, it's, you know, it's an, it's a relatively stable country in Guyana. Um, it is, um, a resource, a measured indicated resource of seven and seven plus million ounces, uh, inferred resources, which could get converted potentially with higher gold prices or more expiration of three, over three million ounces. And there aren't too many places in the world uh, that you can find 10 million ounces of, of open pitable um, gold. 
And so, you know, now, you know, it was just a matter of how, how to like look at this asset and how to get the most out of it. And, you know, uh, the, the group that I've worked with before, we, we were approached by, by Frank and Grant Kalemini, who were large shareholders to, to look at what, you know, what I could do to help unlock the shareholder values. And, and so we, we started off in November as a strategic advisor and we did a number of uh, moves, I think, that, that created that value. And, and one is uh, we rebranded it from Sandspring to Gold X. Uh, we, we consolidated uh, the shares eight to one. Uh, and, and then we, we actually made a debenture uh, of $20 million to actually own the property 100%. This is the first time in, in the history of this project that the uh, shareholders own, own 100% of this project. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really the, you know, becoming familiar with the company and, and, and what we could do with it and how to right size it in terms of production. Where, where I saw some value is that, you know, when you have, uh, there was a, a PEA done in uh, June of this year, 2019, I should say. And, you know, it highlighted uh, this asset has a, is hugely leveraged to gold. And, and, and on a base case area, $1,300, it had an NPV of $495 million, an IR of 20%, a payback around two years, almost nine years, and free cash flow of $1.25 billion. And the torque is at $1,500 gold, the, the NPV is $760 million, the IR is 20, 20, almost 28%, the payback's less than two years, and the free cash flow is $1.71 billion. So, you know, and if you look at 18 and, you know, $2,000 gold, the, the numbers get ridiculously crazy. And you're looking at a company when we, I took it over market cap with all these things of $50 million. So there's deep, you know, value that needs to be unlocked there. And, and, and podcasts like this will, you know, will help, you know, we want to want to profile this project because I think it's been buried for many, many years. And uh, so well, those are some of the reasons why I, I, I've joined this group. So I think, I think I'd like to drill into that. You mentioned, um, you mentioned the incredible leverage to gold that this project has. And, you know, for those listening at home, I guess the way, the easiest way to look at that, that is as gold price goes up, the value of the asset and thereby the value of the company goes up, hopefully exponentially. And is this something we see in common amongst all gold projects or all development projects, Paul? Or, or does Gold X have a specifically high or a specifically high um, leverage compared to your competitors out there or compared to other options? Uh, I've done, I haven't done the full analysis with all my peer group, but, but you know, and that's what we're doing now. We're, we're putting together slides for our website to look at how we begin our peer group. So you can see how value, you know, value that we do show, but on a, you know, right now we're trading like on a $7 per MNI resource ounce. Okay. Which is real, really, really low for, mm-hmm. for any kind of uh, uh, factor that can do to value valuate companies, you know, fifteen would be low. That would be a doubling in price if we could just show that. So 
So, you know, our, my job as a CEO is to, is to actually point out that value to people and show how that value is, is, is uh, feasible and consistent, okay, and provides, you know, a uh, strength to our, to our share price. Um, the other thing that interested me in, in taking this job on is that because of its size, it, it can make, have production like in the 150 to 250,000 ounce range. And that's very attractive to mid-tier and top-tier companies that are looking to expand or you know, be, you know, be accretive to their, to their, their portfolio. So that, ha- that gives us optionality in terms of takeovers. You know, like the, the new norm for, you know, for, uh, for mid-tier and top-tier companies isn't the 1 million, 100,000 ounce a year projects. They're looking for three to 5 million ounces and they're looking for 150 to 250. So we want to hit that sweet spot. So when I, looking at this from the outside, when I look at your resume, you know, I see someone who has built a nearly, a pretty unparalleled reputation and the ability to either start or come into a company, clean things up or build it up and then transact on it and sell it very successfully at a premium. And I think you've done that five times. Correct me if I'm, I'm missing one, but you've done it in potash. Yeah. You've done it in uranium. You've done it in lithium. You've done it in gold. Um, there's probably other ones that are silver, I think, too. Can you give us the general characteristics of a project or a company that you look for that says, look at this has potential here. This could be a takeout project. This could be a takeout target if X, Y, Z are done and made it more attractive to a buyer. What, what is it you look for before you choose uh, something that you want to be involved in and put your name behind? Uh, so the, the, the big thing is a, a good understanding of, uh, of the metal market and to see if there is uh, wind in the sails. Will, will this price... Uh, metal price increase over the, uh, the next two or three years, okay? Are there events that, that shape, shaping the metal price that are out there? So, mm-hmm. um, so price is one. Then uh, in most cases, uh, I, you know, I have had different kind of scenarios, but for instance, the first time, my, my first and probably one of the largest uh, takeouts was uranium. And, and that one was just, out of the blue, that was just a uh, a belief that uranium at ten dollars was was really really undervalued. It was a sunset industry; people were going to shut down every nuclear reactor, and and that was it for uranium. And that was two thousand and four. I just didn't believe that. And I thought the world was still going to be relying heavily, especially the U.S., on nuclear power. And so I took a bet on that. And uh, I joined up uh, with uh, a good partner of mine, Bill Sheriff, but a, who had a databases that he uranium databases from U.S. uranium companies, large ones. And from that, we we were able to stake and acquire large, you know, advanced uranium deposits. And at the same time that was happening, we had the price of uranium slowly creep up from ten dollars to twenty dollars to thirty dollars. Another forty dollars, and and our five million dollar market cap company became fifty, hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred, and then just to add torque to that, we thought, okay, well now that our share price was at a point where we could use it, we started acquiring companies instead mm-hmm. of properties, 
And uh, so I don't think anybody's done this, but uh, I took over three public TSC, public listed companies in one year and, and gained a huge bunch of mass and some advanced projects. And so that, and that ended up taking us to like the 600, $700 million mark. And this time frame is like in two years. And it's just a constant focus to that. Um, in the third year, and um, uh, we were looking at trying to expand because our, all of, we were now the largest holder of uranium assets in the United States. And Cigar Lake decided to become to melt. And that shot the price of uranium to 70 to almost $100. Mm -hmm. okay. And that event almost doubled our price in a day. I didn't anticipate that, but, and, and, and then uh, in that moment, we used, we used that, uh, used that, that moment to actually apply to the New York Stock Exchange and become listed there so we get better distribution in the United States. Um, and from then after that, I realized that when it was starting to look at 110 and $120 or much higher projections, I thought it was, it was over, oversold. It was time to actually sell. And I managed to sell that to your uranium one. You know, I think that was for $1.2 billion. Right. So in, in the course of three years and, you know, and two people around an idea, we grew, grew to a company of almost 200 and sold it to uranium one. And a lot of the assets that we, that were distributed from energy metals became foundation blocks for other companies today that still are, are still around. So, it just, you know, it's just looking every day at the moment and, and the future and trying to make a decision. And uh, a similar path, well, you know, was done with potash. Again, uh, a belief that potash, the Chinese were very interested in potash and, and a similar story evolved, except this time I drilled. As um, my background is a geologist, we, we went to the uh, Saskatchewan, which is the you know, the Saudi Arabia of potash and we drilled the prairie evaporite base and we found three major holes, you know, and then it was a, then that was a story of executing with a team on, um, on getting a resource and getting a, a, a pre-feasibility and, and the hardest of things and is to getting a mining permit in that country. And so we did all those three in three years, uh, had lots of tension. And, I mean, it managed to get, Robert Friedland became the, the chairman of my uh, of my board, and he helped uh, uh, provide some potential Chinese customers. And I eventually sold that to company to K Plus Dust, the largest, you know, not the largest, but the oldest potash producer in um, in the world. And they bought it for like four hundred thirty-four million dollars. And um, they then subsequently spent over three billion dollars. And now it's called the legacy mine. So and it employs thousands of workers. So that's kind of the strategy that that I use. And it, it's not, you know, it's no magic. It's it's a lot of hard work and, and making a choice and being nimble. Uh and yeah. just and it's just probably seeing what you see every day. I just I just happen to do it with companies and, and well, take a risk at it. If I, if I were to try to summarize that, it sounds to me like you've got a, a really strong macro view uh, on what commodity uh, is 
is going to be rising and where you should be. And then you go out and you find projects that have the ability to scale and to get a big, you know, high class asset. Um, but something I wanted to talk to you about and what stands out to me about Goldex uh, is the fact that you've sort of put the band back together in terms of the team that you had with Lithium X. Uh, Frank Jutra is one of the big backers. You as the chairman and CEO, whereas you were the executive chairman of Lithium X. Uh, Brian Pays Braga, who is now a, I believe, an advisor to the company and was the CEO of Lithium X. And of course, your CFO, Bassam Mubarak. So you guys have all come back together uh, one way or the other to do this. How important you know, is building that team that can execute on these? And why did you guys come together for this one again? Um, for, and, you know, I, in my, for, from, you know, from my view, you know, this business is, has a lot of trust and everybody has a role to play. And, and you know, uh, uh, I like working with people that, you know, have gone through the ups and downs. I can tell you that for every deal that I did in those five, there was a dark day when we thought we would, uh, would go the other way that we would lose the plot or, or the price would go. And in those moments, you start knowing who is with you and who will, who will stay with you. And, uh, and so, you know, it's good to form strong bonds and strong relationships and, and people, capable people that, you know, will execute under pressure. And uh, so I enjoy working, you know, we're, we, each, each are, are, are um, Everyone in the, of that group you just mentioned are, are capable people that, that you know, and, and I find that the synergy of all of us working together is greater than just the four of us working individually. So, uh, so it's a pleasure. And at the same time, you know, you know, I'm heartened that, you know, uh, that they take the same approach that I do. Like, and I'm a shareholder and like I'm, I have a reputation of being the last shareholder. I buy shares in the company. I make a commitment to the shareholders. I will stay to the end. And, uh, so, and I think that's the beauty of a, of a CEO that, that, uh, has the shareholder in mind. I gain the most value, uh, economic benefit by increasing the share value. And I think, so that's near and dear to me. And so I'm aligned with my shareholder base. And I think so is uh, Frank and so is Bassam and so is Brian. So they're all on that page on how we increase shareholder value. And so, and I enjoy working with them. So before you came in and you guys changed the name to Goldex, this project was known as Sandspring and it had some good times and it had some, some harder times, but it, it did survive through an incredibly long and challenging bear market. For investors that have been in this company for a long time and for those who are thinking of coming in for the first time, you know, what can they expect out of your team, out of Goldex, over the coming six months, over the coming year? What, what's, what's on the table? So the, the kinds of things that need to be done is, is trying to get uh, our ounces to be uh, sort of reclassified as developer ounces instead of explore core ounces. And you, you can do that by producing a feasibility study. You can produce, you know, we need a mining permit uh, so that we can actually uh, get these ounces out of the ground. We, we, we need to get more institutional investors. Uh, we need anal, anal, analytical coverage by analysts. So these are the kinds of, these are simple things that they're easy to roll off your, off your, your tongue, but they all take a little work and they all need to get done. And so 
these are things that add value. And then, and to be, you know, get the majors in the mid tier familiar with your property on the value, on the all in sustaining capital costs, what kind of leverage this would do for their companies. Uh, so all this is how you develop uh, shareholder value in, in my mind. And, you know, there, there's also the M&A route. You know, maybe this is the time that we know if our, if our stock price gets bigger that we become inquisitive. And, you know, you have to also realize that we have a, you know, we have a built-in shareholder called Grand Columbian that owns 20% of our company. Mm-hmm. So they're always around the periphery of a potential M&A. So, you know, we have a lots of uh, optionality in this company. Uh, you know, we, uh, we have seven, you know, I think we have $6 million in the bank. And, you know, we're, we, we don't, most of my companies don't really have a high, you know, high number of people working for it. We're very, very focused. So, you know, we, we tend to create a lot of shareholder value with very few people. For those who've never heard of it before or thought about it, can you give some thoughts on what's going on, going on in Guyana right now? And, you know, is that a good place to be mining? Is that a place you want to be doing business? I know a lot of people have never even heard of Guyana before looking at it. Well, Guyana is in, just, well, Guyana, not to be confused with Guinea, is in, in South America. Yep. It's, it's a stable democracy with uh, common legal law system. English speaking, easy to grow with. It, it, uh, it's been fortunate. It's, I think, a population of, uh, I don't know, 700,000. Very small country. Uh, and sometimes, you know, sluggish in its economic uh, performance. It, it relied, early, you know, mostly upon mining, gold mining, our artisanal gold mining. Uh, not too many mines. I think Diana Goldfields is one that has a, an existing mine. Uh, there, Poroporo would be one of the largest deposits in that area, uh, in in the country. Um, but it, uh, a couple of years ago, it made an incredible find uh, offshore, and it's going to totally transform a country. It's probably going to be with in terms of natural gas and, and oil, and it's going to become probably one of the fastest growing economies in the world. So, uh, and you know, Guyana, there's been. Uh, uh, commitments by the governments there, but they're going to put that money into to, uh, infrastructure. And infrastructure is the heart for resource development. So I think, you know, this all bears well uh, for, our, uh, for our company. Hey, um, I know you're a busy guy and you've got a lot in your plate, but, you know, one final question. For the, there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast and a lot of people sitting at home who've seen their portfolios destroyed or at least hurt significantly over the last few weeks. There's a lot of people that are starting to understand the value um, of investing in gold and in gold mining and resources in general in a time like this. Do you have any thoughts for investors who've never entered this space for what they should be looking for and what they should be considering before dabbling uh, in the mining or, or precious metals world? Well, reading, becoming familiar with uh, the coal mining industry, uh, um, look at different matrices of how people evaluate uh, companies. Um, look at analytical reports from big, big brokerage firms. Okay? Uh, Education is the key uh, in, in my, you know, I can tell you why you might want to do this one versus that one. 
uh, maybe find some trusted advisors who have worked with, with, with individuals or worked with companies and have familiarity. You know, you can back the asset, you can back the jockey. I mean, these are two other things you might want to look at. Who's running the company? You know, is the, is the company well-financed? And what's the track record of, this co of these individuals that run it? So it's not an easy decision to be made. Uh, you know, it depends on a lot on your risk level. I mean, mining is a, is a speculative business. It, it's prone to boom and bust. Okay. So, you, you know, there's no assurity in this game. You know, who, know, who knew that, you know, the price of gold can fluctuate from $1,200 to, to $1,700 in, in, in a given year. Yeah. So, so you just, you have to have the stomach to do that. It's a place, you know, like it's, like most metals, they have a cycle, you know, and uh, you just have to be cognizant of where you are in that cycle. I particularly think that we're in an upswing of that cycle. I think that the gold, the whole industry has been through a bear, like five or six years of bear conditions. And there's been a lot of rationalizations, a lot of mergers, and, you know, and the, and the best are surviving. So I think it's a better place today than it was like four or five years ago. So, you know, and then it's your level of, you know, of risk. Do you want to do an exploration company that's drilling a, a geological model? Or do you want to work with a development company that's trying to move to production? Or do, or you, do you want to look at a production company and, and maybe get the better leverage on an increase in gold price? So it's not such an easy question. It really comes down to your comfort level and having a little, you know, you know I'm sure all your podcasts where you, you know, talking to Rob McEwen and uh, he, I mean, these are, these are very bright men you can listen to and they have lots of insight and you should uh, listen to these podcasts and learn from them. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here at Resource Insider is really talk to the most experienced people in the space and give a broad view of how they manage their money and their portfolio. And of course the companies they work with. So Paul, thank you very much for taking some time out of your day and best of luck with Goldex. Very excited to see what happens over the coming months. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care.